What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. My name is Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders and Christopher Pacheco as we continue our sports talk television show without any uh, professional sports to follow. Though, Ricky, I was doing some reading this morning. Seems like uh, Korean baseball uh, is is going to be coming back to us. Uh, it's going to be played at very odd times for the American audience. Uh, probably going to have to... well. So this is what I'm hoping is that for DFS purposes that the lineups come out like eight hours early. Um, and, you know, what the problem, though, is Korea, a very anti-gambling culture. So I don't know. I actually don't know if this is going to work out. If they were smart, they'd be getting their lineups out eight hours earlier. So everyone in the United States who wanted to gamble on it would be able to pay attention. Yeah, I saw there was a game played a few days ago in Taiwan as well. So it looks like baseball, predictably, is one of the first sports to come back because, you can basically have social distancing in baseball. I mean, everyone's playing a full, you know, 50 feet away from each other at the minimum, 60 feet, six inches when it comes to the pitcher. And it was funny. There was a home run, uh, you know, re- recap that I was watching on some, some sports show where a guy crushes a homer and you can hear every single member of the bench yelling. I mean, there, you couldn't hear crowd noise, but you could still hear cheering, but it was just from like the, the 10, 15 guys on the bench. It was an interesting dynamic, but just to have sports is such a great feeling that I'll take whatever we can get. So a not a not great feeling for me is this dynasty <laughs> auction that we've uh, that we've been doing over at uh, Daily Roto with a bunch of our uh, industry buddies. So, you know, we we started this without a real idea of what the good prices were going to be, you know, of of what the strategy was going to be, and and it, it all kind of snowballed, Pacheco, when I bought 
a 2021 first round pick from Michael Leone for $22 out of a $300 budget. And that kind of opened the market. And then another guy in the league sold me his second and third round picks. And then Pat Corain decided to buy not one, but two people's entire 2022 rookie draft. So first through sixth round picks. Uh, just Pacheco, what was your experience with this with this dynasty draft? Um, it's been <laughs> it's it's been something. I'll tell you that much. Uh, this is my first one, and I'm I'm so glad I did it. I mean, it's it's been extremely challenging at times, extremely fun, uh, pretty much throughout the the whole thing. Outside of you know getting out bid on guys that you like with like one hour remaining. Um, that was not that good of an experience, but all, all things considered, this is probably my fa- the favorite like draft that I've done. Um, I think it's been fascinating to see people's strategies going into it, changing uh, as the draft uh, you know evolved, uh, and just kind of seeing the draft uh, being so different early, middle stages, and then late stages when you know and everyone just doesn't have money. Um, quite the experience. Yeah. So Ricky, what about, what about, uh, what about you? You know, how do you feel about how your draft went, how some of these other teams are, are shaking out, you know, how are you feeling about the, the auction experience thus far? So I didn't hate my strategy and I think there was a way I could have executed it much better where I went Christian McCaffrey and Devonte Adams And then I saved a bunch of money because I knew I was going value quarterbacks. The problem was I didn't wait long enough on these quarterbacks. After I bought both those players, I started throwing out older quarterbacks because I knew I was immediately playing for 2020. And they went for low teens. But then by the time everyone had no money, you saw Drew Locke go for under 10 bucks. You saw Aaron Rodgers go for cheaper than Ben Roethlisberger. You saw all these quarterback prices late that just really made me kick myself because I could have executed the way I did. And there were mistakes along the way. Like I didn't fully understand these auction rules where you could have a proxy bid above your top bid, which ended up costing me 10 bucks on Christian McCaffrey because he was expiring at $79. He got bid up to 80. If I would have just had my proxy bid at 80 or 81, I would have saved enough money then to buy another player because I ended up having to spend 88. So I think I could have executed this strategy much, much better, had some better quarterbacks, had some money to spend for another receiver or two. I'm thin at receiver. But overall, I mean, I went studs and duds. And with my duds, I ended up paying a dollar for a lot of guys who will have a role at least this year. I'm by far the oldest team but that was by design after i knew i was playing for this year and i only had so much money to spend yeah there are there so there are some prices from the early days that that seem absurd now so you know i paid 80 dollars for patrick mahomes uh the dink uh dink and drewby crew played um i think they paid 73 dollars for lamar and then you know here over the last couple days so here are some prices we have young wide receivers like James Washington going for three. Justice Hill goes for four. Robbie Anderson goes for three. I mean, okay, and and I think this is the most surprising thing to me of all is the draft just worked out in such a way, Pacheco, where there are there's no difference in price between guys who are 150 spots apart in, you know, ADP. Like so we have we have guys like Jimmy Graham going for a dollar. And then we also have guys like Tyrell Williams going for a dollar, who's like 
like I think in our our startup draft, if I re- recall correctly, Tyrell went in the 16th round. I think Jimmy Graham went in the 25th round to you, Ricky. At at some point, I know that you took him late in that draft, and I'm just sitting here looking at this like if we did this again. I would just not log into the draft room for the first three days. I, j- I wouldn't even want to tempt myself. And I'd be like, okay, if everyone else, like I'll let the other people have deals because mm-hmm. I want to be able to go to four or $5 on all the guys, um, you know, all the guys that I like at the end, basically because, you know, we start a ton of guys. We start a ton of guys in this league. So that definitely matters. But even more importantly than that, you know, we are in this massive, massive, um, you know, we're in this massive draft where we have 30 roster spots. And if you think about it, if you get a full roster of 30 guys and all of them are top 150 players and you have, you know, enough tight ends, enough quarterbacks to handle that scoring discrepancy, I kind of feel like that is. The way I feel like you can win even without studs on your roster, Pacheco. Yeah, I think that's I think that is a a thing uh, in these sort of drafts. And I'm gonna be honest with you, when I decided to sit out the first you know two two and a half days, I didn't feel great about it either. You know, <laughs> there might be a misconception that you know sitting out for the first couple of days uh, is like. Like, it made me feel great. Now it does because I, I see what happened in the draft. Uh, but my understanding was, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get any legitimate studs on my roster potentially. Obviously, that didn't end up happening. And I, I got a good amount of, of, you know, real studs and even, like, B-caliber players uh, at good prices. Uh, but it's kind of how things went this time around. If we did it again and, you know, people decided to sit back, for the for two to three days, it'd be interesting to see if you know you could potentially get some some of the higher end studs at discounted prices. That to me is what makes it the most inter- interesting for a potential second draft that we do. I just think I you know what, and I I know myself, and <laughs> I, it's going to be very hard for me to sit out because I I guess also another thing about. Uh, auctions that you don't think about, especially when it comes to a dynasty context. Like if you're just doing an auction draft for one season, you know the goal of what you're trying to do, which is you are trying to win that league that season. So you're trying to get the best combination of values to get the most amount of points on your roster in that given year. In dynasty, it's, it's so different because you could be aiming to compete for the next year, you could be aiming to compete for uh, 2025, which is basically, uh, you know, what uh, what my roster is doing. There's just a lot of different directions that you can go, and that makes it harder to put an adequate value on players because, you know, someone like Julio Jones, he's probably not worth five bucks to a team that is is rebuilding, whereas a team that has Christian McCaffrey, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, you want you want to pay twenty bucks, twenty five bucks for Julio Jones because the immediate points are so important and so you know the reason why i wanted to why i think why my instinct was to attack that first Mm -hmm. couple days so heavily ricky was just because i wanted to know what my strategy was for all of my other bids yeah exactly and that's why i think if we did a draft like this again i would still be active the first few days i would just want to know which few superstars i was getting because personally 
Uh, I would feel comfortable, again, going with Christian McCaffrey and Devontae Adams and then just holding off for a long time and seeing how that strategy developed. Because there were starting running backs at the end of the draft that were going for like 5 to $8. So you could have filled your running backs that way. There were cheap quarterbacks. And, I mean, you look at like an either-or of how things turned out, like Devontae Adams, and you could have had a late cheap receiver, or let's go to one of the deepest teams, which is Amico, who just loaded up his receiver core, or something like, you know, Keenan Allen, uh, Jarvis Landry, and a third receiver. Like, I still want star power on my team. So I think if we did a second draft, these, you know, I think McCaffrey would probably go for 70 or less. I think Michael Thomas would go for under 60. I think, you know, all of a sudden these superstar prices would start coming back to the field to the point where you would want to take some of them. And if you were disciplined, you could have them and value late. And I think that would be a very attractive strategy because you would have more money to spend later. And I I still think that would be the way to go. I think people would then get too patient. And I don't I don't love that strategy when there are guys who are clear outliers in terms of performance at their position. Yeah. So from a from a strategy perspective, Pacheco, how were you thinking about, you know, those days Well, you were kind of sitting there watching mm-hmm. the room? Were you were you feeling antsy that because, you know, as every even if there are bad prices. Right. So like yeah. even if McCaffrey, even if Mahomes, even if Lamar, even if Zeke, even if Kamara, like even if those guys are going off the board for bad prices, like you think that they are overpriced, it still makes it harder to win. Do, mm-hmm. to construct a win now team because the yeah. points are just not as available for sure and I, and I think what ha- what happened uh during those couple days that i was just kind of sitting back and, and watching the room uh do what they were doing is I, I started to figure out okay if these guys win these high bids you know Mahomes for 80 uh lamar for 70 plus mccaffrey uh, nearly 90 if they win these bids I mean, their money is going to start getting reduced here by quite a bit. And then they're going to make a second and third bit. And pretty much by the time I came in, that's that's kind of what was happening at that point, right? There were second and third bids for teams already uh, going on. So it allowed me to start my bidding process and get values almost right away because I think uh, people started to notice, okay, I, have, I now have to be responsible with my funds. And, and that's kind of how it worked out for me in a positive way. But Davis, I think the most important thing for me, uh, honestly, uh, whether it was waiting those first couple of days or or just not having, you know, quote unquote guys, you know how everyone just has. No, I, I think I think that's so big for you. I think that it was so big for you to just not be like, I really want Julio Jones. I really want. X, I don't really want Zachary. It's like you just were like, no, I'll just I will buy the guys that are at appropriate prices as opposed to liking dudes. And I think that's really important when it comes to this, because if you like your dude and someone else does, you're you're not going to pay a fair price. You're going to have to like overpay for sure. And just to take you as an example, Mahomes, who's obviously a fantastic dynasty buy, you have to pretty much overpay or, or potentially you would think that it's it's likely an appropriate no no I, I you paid, have to overpay uh, to get the, your the, what I did with Mahomes basically made it that impossible for me to put together a competitive roster in 2020 I just I just would not have been able to buy enough points but the one strategy you can do in these leagues um and it would be a this would actually be a lot harder to do in 
a just a re- like a snake draft because the the value of the dollar it's like it like you can't trade a, a fourth mm-hmm. round pick for someone's entire draft because you're still probably even losing that deal in yeah. terms of you know the the way that the capital is allocated. Yeah. But what it did allow me to do is because you know Mahomes is still going to be a top five fantasy quarterback in 2023, almost like no matter what happens, yeah. like unless, you know, unless the guy like, you know, gets seriously injured or retires or something, it's very hard for me to imagine a world in which he's not awesome for fantasy. So that allowed me to just take a super long view, kind of like the res- the exact opposite of what happened to Ricky, where he won CMC for this crazy amount of money and you know cmc might be retired in four years so it just didn't make any sense it didn't make any sense for ricky uh you know to go try and buy a bunch of young players at that point i still think by the way that that ricky buying Devontae adams for the the price that he did whether, yeah that was you know, worse. Ricky, with, with ricky without you know if you don't want to admit it or not it's completely fine but buying him for 50 instead of buying you know two solid 25 dollar players is a really big thing. We're not even just uh, two twenty-five dollar players. Potentially, you know, going down the line and maybe you know three fifteen-dollar players, and then another five. You know, you could have redistributed those funds in a different way. But obviously, you go into this thing. Part of the the fun thing about auction is that you do have guys that you want, and you do want to make you know strong bids for them. It's just uh, fascinating to see the effect that that has on your roster when you really like your guys. Well, so here's the thing now. After I did make those buys, I did the absolute only thing I could do, which was strength in numbers at wide receiver. This is why I've been throwing out $1 old players since, I don't know, three days ago. Yeah. Because I had I drafted a ton of running backs at values that I liked besides Christian McCaffrey. I got David Montgomery for under 10. I got David Johnson for under 10. I got Melvin Gordon for under 20. And I got Kenyon Drake for 20. So just to be fair, I didn't spend more than $21 on a player besides Devontae Adams or Christian McCaffrey. And I real I mean, I bought a bunch of tight ends because I like the values there. Because we have a one and a half PPR for tight ends, which I thought people were undervaluing. So I bought Ertz for about 20 bucks. Uh, Gesicki for about 20 bucks, which was just because he was my guy. I love Mike Gesicki. I would overpay for him, which I did. I bought Jared Cook for five bucks, and I realized my receiving core was going to be light. It's basically Devontae Adams, Adam Thielen, and uh, Brashad Perriman, who I traded for. So I just straight up went $1 players who have roles in the near future, meaning this year. They're all pretty much third receivers on their specific teams, but they will have enough targets that I need two usable players for my receiving core every week. That's all I need. Between Devontae Adams, Amendola, Beasley, Larry Fitzgerald, Kelvin Harmon, Adam Humphreys, Deshaun Jackson, Perriman, Sanu, and Thielen, give me two usable guys and I should be just fine. That was the strategy I was going with. After I bought these top-tier players, it's just strength in numbers. It's best ball. Just let's spread out our good weeks every year, guys. I mean, I think that in tight end premium leagues, this is true in FFPC formats. This is true in these best ball leagues that we do with tight end premium. People tend to overvalue the high-end tight ends. So Kittle, Kelsey, Ertz, Andrews. Um, I think people overvalue those guys a little bit. But they undervalue Cameron Brait, um, Hayden Hurst. Like they undervalue the guys who can get like 40 catches a year because 
that same guy at wide receiver, there's 600 of those guys, you know, Russell Gage, Devin Smith, Tavon Austin, like they're just, they're an unlimited number of wide receivers who can get a few points. There's a very limited number of tight ends who can get to 40 catches. So that is our first segment here done on Daily Roto TV that you're watching on SportsGrid. Uh, we ran through our dynasty auction strategy a little bit. And when we return, we are going to be talking about ESPN's Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from break. This is Davis Maddock here on Daily Roto TV, joined by Christopher Pacheco and Ricky Sanders. Uh, we are now turning our attention to what I think a huge chunk of the sports world is going to be turning their attention to, which is The Last Dance, uh, ESPN's 10-part Michael Jordan documentary. They are going to be airing two episodes at a time on uh, Sunday evenings at around 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I am 
super excited for this. The sporting world is super exciting for this because this is uh, this really is the perfect time. It's not competing against the finals. It's not competing against anything else. No draft. Um, it's just it's just nothing is going on. So everyone is going to be paying attention to the last dance. Ricky, how pumped are you for this? Well, as a Bulls fan growing up, this is incredible to me. Like, I can still remember where I was for that shot where he pushed off against the Utah Jazz mm -hmm. to win the championship. I was at a childhood friend's house. Like, I still remember that, and I think I was something like eight years old during it. Uh, so I still remember a lot about Michael Jordan. I have some Michael Jordan stories. I mean, he, he grew up, or at least his house was around my parents' house within like a 15-minute drive, so was very familiar with the area. He lived by my grandma. Like, there's a lot about Michael Jordan that's kind of important to my childhood. So I'm looking forward to watching this documentary, and what's really getting me excited is the fact that Michael Jordan thinks people are going to think negatively of him after watching this. And everyone knows Michael Jordan was intense. Like, there are stories all over the place, but I'm really looking forward to what Michael Jordan said people will consider him, quote-unquote, an asshole for after watching this video because, I mean, everyone who knows him just knows, like, his the way he is. So I'm curious to see how that gets, you know, dragged out in this documentary to the nth degree. Yeah, I – so I am not, like, a huge Michael Jordan guy. I'm not – old enough to have watched him play. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I certainly am more of the LeBron generation, I think is probably uh, what I, what is, is the right way to say it. But Michael Jordan is like a larger than life character, right? That's what, that's what is cool about him. And that's what's cool about the documentary is that he really is just so large in the minds of people and and everyone knows these stories everyone knows about Michael Jordan and and so I think the the cool part of this is going to be actually some like myth dispelling where Michael Jordan is actually going to seem less like a like a tall tale and more like a real athlete like a real person kind of the way that we we talk about LeBron because we know so many aspects of LeBron's life that we just never would have known about Michael Jordan Pacheco. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, given everything that's going on outside, uh, us having no sports, nothing really uh, to talk about these days outside of the NFL draft and this awesome auction draft that we're doing um, with industry guys, this is like the most exciting thing that, that's come out of this. So I, I'm definitely very excited uh, for it. Like Davis, I'm not – so when I started watching basketball, it was really the the Kobe era. Like it was it, it was just transitioning to be the Kobe era. So I kind of just like missed out on Jordan. But then obviously uh, as I learned more and more, definitely rewatched a, a lot of the stuff um, with Michael Jordan in it, whether it was the, the finals uh, or, or what have you. I definitely went back and tried to watch as much as I could – um, so to see a documentary that's going to dive into him as a person, into the Bulls, and into that, that dynasty run, I'm, I'm honestly really, really excited about it. Obviously, you know, with the game it, like it is today, where it's a lot of, of threes, and it's, it's a completely different game uh, than the one Jordan was playing. Um, not that it was uh, inferior, an, an inferior product, but it's just going to be awesome to see Michael Jordan on the big screen. 
I think some of the things I am most looking forward to, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of great stuff and a lot of stuff that we don't even know about, right? Like there's going to be some stuff that we don't even know about. I, I also am assuming, Ricky, there's going to be a good bit of unaired Kobe Bryant stuff. And I think that that will probably, they will probably be editing that and saving that for the last episodes, you know, episodes nine and 10. But I imagine we're going to get a lot of Kobe talking about Michael Michael talking about Kobe stuff, you know, those guys playing against each other talking and that's going to be, you know, pretty um, emotional and and very stirring. But, you know, I think I have never really heard Michael Jordan talk about his baseball career. I've never really heard um, the, you know, the Birmingham, his teammates, you know, that to me, that is just kind of all legend and you know like the like jokes in space jam to me like that's like what i when i think about michael jordan's baseball career i think about the space jam stuff where he's like you know they just show him striking out and and everything like and i and i think that the the baseball stuff is to me it's so weird to think of like oh michael jordan the baseball player but like i i think that that is going to be one of the most interesting parts of the documentary yeah, for sure. And by the way, that was an era where it was being done. Like Reggie Sanders, I think Bo Jackson was one. Deion mm-hmm. Sanders, there Deion. were multi. Yeah, there were multi-sport guys. So you know, Michael Jordan quitting it, it was shocking to no end. But it, he wasn't the only one attempting to do such things and go with the multi-sport thing. So I'm really curious his take on it and how well he thought he was going to do. Uh, in the baseball world, because we we saw his numbers. I think he was like a 200 hitter, by the way, uh, in the minor league. So it wasn't overly successful. But I can't get through the segment without giving you my one Michael Jordan story of when I met him. Uh, I was with the owner of one of the daily fantasy sites when I used to work for them. So if you know my history, you know what I'm talking about. When we went to a Charlotte Hornets game and sat in his seats, which were courtside, and this owner was completely friendly with the entire team. And how it works at the Charlotte Hornets arena is, you know, all the season ticket holders, along with the players, are able to park under the stadium. And as we went down to meet all the players, which was part of the whole experience and was, by the way, one of the coolest things of all time, you know, as you're walking out to the parking lot area, there is a white Ferrari sitting there with a, with a, you know, Tar Heel blue seats with the number 23 on them just running. So it was pretty obvious whose car it was. And he came out and was, I mean, the guy I was with knew who he was. Hey, Michael, how are you? And introduced me to him, and I literally froze up. Like, I've been around other celebrities, and I've said hi, talked to them, been friendly with them. London Fletcher being one of them, you know, I I was able to speak to him and open my mouth. When Michael held his hand out to me, I literally, like, just said the word hi, and then couldn't speak. Yeah, that's too much, man. I couldn't speak. It was was brutal. I I think, like, I have... um... I think I've been I've probably been starstruck a time or two. Actually, one of the one of the most times I was starstruck was meeting Michael McDonald, uh, Timex, who he's like, you know, he's one of the, I don't know, 10 or 15 best online poker players ever. And he used to play a ton on DraftKings. Like, that's the time I remember. That's the time I remember getting starstruck. Pacheco, you do you have a Michael Jordan story for us or not as lucky? Well, so I definitely don't have a Michael Jordan story <laughs> like that. There's no way this dude actually met him, Ricky. That's that's fantastic. Pretty good story, Ricky. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. I actually, um, I do have a Deion Sanders story because I did meet him when oh, I was that's very pretty, young. Deion Sanders is pretty good. Yeah, I was like, uh, I was like ten uh, at the time, and I honestly, I didn't really even know 
who, who the guy who was. really was until, you know, I, I was introduced to him afterwards. You know, I looked him up and I was like, oh, oh, this is who I just met. Um, so it was just really interesting. because I, I wasn't scared per se, but this guy was pretty, you know, pretty big. So I was like looking up at him as a little kid. Um, so it, it was pretty fantastic. That's really the only like starstruck thing I could say. Maybe... Um, me, I did see Kevin Garnett uh, at a Cheesecake Factory uh, down here in Florida. Um, Dude, but then it, but then it love the Cheesecake Factory. If yeah. you if you are ever in an NBA city, you know COVID nineteen is over. You want to you want to go find yourself an NBA player? Go to the Cheesecake Factory in a day off in between games. You're like you're as long as it's one close to where the hotel is. You're like fifty fifty. I'm not even kidding. This yeah. is a true story. Like NBA players love the cheesecake factory they're like if you like google nba cheesecake factory there's been like whole articles written about it for whatever reason they're just are all about it it's an extensive menu that extensive menu yeah kevin garnett was there actually good uh and and then uh amari stoudemire as well uh i saw him at a cheesecake factory too and i tried to get a picture with him and um his security told me no no way like dude yeah we're not doing this i'm like okay well Sorry. <laughs> so I I have while we are here, I have Michael Jordan's minor league statistics. 497 plate appearances. Uh he hit 202 with uh an OPS of 556. Oh, yeah. Now he did steal 30 bases. He was caught stealing 18 times, three <laughs> home runs, one triple, 17 doubles. And this is coming from a 31-year-old, so uh yeah, I mean, you know, Michael, and, and how crazy, by the way, for some of his teammates, like, literally, like, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a double A baseball player, just, you know, trying to, just trying to, trying to live my life, you know, just a guy sitting here in the White Sox minor league system, and all of a sudden, uh, I am, I am teammates with Michael Jordan, that would be, like, I'm hoping that we get some funny stories from his minor league baseball teammates of, like, you know, with this year that Michael Jordan played for us, our stands were packed and people were at our games. And then after, uh, no one ever cared about me again for, like, the rest of human history because no one goes to minor league baseball games. No one cares. But, I mean, I'm sure Michael Jordan's games were, were sold out and there were had to be security guards and stuff in the dugouts when he was there. I'm positive. I was trying to come up with a utility player off the top of my head with similar numbers to that, and I couldn't think of one. Like Jared Dyson with the Royals is the first name that comes to mind with those yeah, kind of never numbers. Yeah, but stealing. But yeah, very, yeah. very Jared Dyson, very um, D Gordony maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like definitely, definitely very uh, Kettle Kettle Marte before he went to the Diamondbacks and got the juiced ball. Uh, definitely uh, some some little bit of that vibes there. Okay, so the other thing I'm really interested about. In this documentary, I mean, there's a lot to be interested in. One of the one of the things is obviously, I think they probably talked to a lot of guys who played against him, and I wonder if there are going to be people who played against him who don't do the normal Michael Jordan thing, where they're like, "Man, he was the best. He was a great. I hated to play against him, but mm-hmm. you just had to respect him at the end of the day because he was so good." I'm wondering if there are going to be some guys who are like, "You know what?" Michael Jordan sucks. I hated playing against him. I didn't feel like it was fun to play against him. He just was not a fun guy to play against. And, and I just because Michael Jordan says he's worried people are going to hate him because of this. I'm I'm wondering if some of that stuff comes out, Pacheco. Yeah, I I uh, I wonder too. I mean, there, look, there, there has to be guys around the league that do feel that way, right? I mean, but, I felt that way about Kobe, right? Like, yeah. uh, what, what was it? Smush Parker. 
that, right. that point guard that played with him. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. and I hate Kobe. I don't want to play with him. And and like he Kobe just used to make fun of him every day. And that now the guy plays in the Chinese basketball league. Like, there's got to be guys like that who feel that way about Michael Jordan. There have to be. There has to be. Uh, thing is, I don't know if they've gone public exactly, but if in the show they show this, I think it would be fantastic television because you know that they're out there. They just kind of have to make themselves known. I don't. I don't know if they will. What uh, what player do you most want to hear talk about Michael Ricky? Dennis Rodman. That's we haven't even mentioned his name so far, and he's going to be one of the most entertaining players in this whole thing. I mean, if there's anything about Rodman, he's nothing if not entertaining. And I would like to see like the relationship between those two because he's such a strange individual, and Michael was so incredibly intense. We know Rodman used to spend all night going out drinking and doing drugs and show up to games and still give his all. I want to see what the relationship was like between those two behind the scenes because I can't imagine, even though they were winning, that Michael was happy about that with how intense he was. Very, I I imagine it's going to be very Ron Artest, Kobe Bryant-like, where it's Mm -hmm. like they they probably had like a mutual respect for each other's competitive level, but had no interest in talking to each other off the court. I wonder if there are teammates, uh, Davis, because we're mentioning guys around the league. We know Steve Kerr and we know him and Steve Kerr uh, had a little thing. and I don't know if Steve Kerr would, would say that publicly, although Steve Kerr looks like a pretty honest guy. Um, so if he had some type of way that he feels about it, he, he would definitely mention something. But I can't imagine that Steve Kerr was like the biggest Michael Jordan person fan, uh, maybe player, because obviously he was such a fantastic player and carried them to all those titles. But as a person, I, I'm sure Steve Kerr had a thing or two to say about that. And I, I mean, obviously, I hope that Phil is on, right? Like, I hope, yeah. I hope Phil Jackson is a big part of this. I mean, I hope, I hope Phil and Steve Kerr, um, you know, Pippen. I hope those guys all have a lot to say. Another guy who I am really interested in hearing from is Bill Russell, because Bill Russell is like the teamwork guy, right? Like the the secret of basketball is that you have to care more about the collective than your own numbers and everything. And, and you know, my I think it, it's not controversial to say, yeah, Michael really liked to win, but Michael really also liked to win by getting his points and getting his assists and getting his steals and everything else. So Bill Russell, a guy I really want to hear from. I mean, I just, I, and, and I've never really heard LeBron talk about Michael Jordan, Ricky. Like, I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty of stuff out there. If I Googled, you know, LeBron, Michael Jordan, but I wonder, you know, I wonder if there's any like, you know, who's who's the goat type chat, and and LeBron, you know, is more forthcoming about that. I I, I don't know. LeBron is generally very good with his PR, but you know, do you think LeBron is going to be in this? And do you think you know he'll have something interesting to say? Because a lot of the time he doesn't have that much interesting stuff to say a lot of the time, LeBron James. Well, I would argue he does. If you watch his show, The Shop. uh, The Shop is very good. The Shop is really good. And he wore 23 almost assuredly for Jordan. I believe I've heard him say that before. Um, But it's not the players now that I want to hear from. I want to hear from the guys that he got in those, like, dog fights with. The Bill Lane Beers, the mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomases, yeah. and even the Jazz. I'd like to hear from Carl Malone and John Stockton, Stockton how, they, yeah. how they feel about that push-off play after the, the series that they gave the Bulls there and how they were always second fiddle to him and just their regrets during that time. I think those would be really interesting uh, conversations to have. Not to, you know, blow off LeBron, but he just didn't play in that era. So I just want yeah. to hear... 
for the guys of the era, you know, how they felt about it, because it really, I know you hear the old people like myself say it was a slightly different variety of basketball, but it really was. I mean, they, they hammered each other a lot more than they do today. And that's not to say today's game isn't physical, but you watch some Michael Jordan highlights and he's elbowing guys in the post before he makes the move. Yeah. All right. So we are all very excited to watch The Last Dance on ESPN. We will be having uh, recap shows on the TakeCast podcast feed. And I'm sure that we will, of course, be talking about The Last Dance on this show as well. So we are going to go ahead and head to break real quick here on the Daily Roto TV show on SportsGrid. Uh, this has been Davis Maddock, Ricky Sanders, Christopher Pacheco. When we come back in our final segment, we are going to be chatting a little bit of NFL draft talk as well. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.
I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Ricky Sanders and Christopher Pacheco. In our final segment here, we are going to move to a little bit of NFL draft chatter. We are officially under a week away from the beginning of what I have to imagine is, Ricky, the most wagered on NFL draft ever and might end up being the most wagered on event of 2020. Maybe not in terms of handle, because, you know, the DraftKings FanDuel Sportsbook, they can't be letting you bet uh, $50,000 on Joe Burrow going first overall. But in terms of total percentage of tickets, my guess is that the 2020 NFL Draft ends up being the most wagered event of 2020. Completely agree with you. With all of us sitting around here and this being the event on TV, uh, I know the NFL was a little hesitant to go through with this format, but they're the only show in town, which is what the NFL wants to be. So in some fashion, I think they got to be proud of this, that everyone is going to have their eyes on this, regardless of what sport you're a fan of, because you just don't have alternative for sports to watch right now. Uh, so the NFL draft is going to be the best show in town. And yeah, I mean, you've got guys like us who just are analyzing the hell out of it. So I think the public feels like they are more educated than in years past, uh, you know, with the NFL draft, mostly because that's the sports content to consume right now. So between no one having anything to do and there being more education because you have more time to focus on researching, I think this is going to blow away any other sporting event this year in terms of the number of overall bets. Yeah, and I'm I'm pumped for it, obviously. Um, and I, I change my mind every day, Pacheco, on what's going on with Tua. Is is Tua is he going to the Dolphins? Are the Dolphins going to trade up for him, um, or or is he or is he hurt? And 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 just every day it seems like my opinion on that changes. And then we hear, oh, maybe the Chargers like Jordan Love more than they like Justin Herbert, and maybe maybe Justin Herbert falls. And uh, you know, I just I just. I don't know. Give me give me your thoughts. Uh, Friday, April 17th. Where are we at with Tua? How are we feeling about him? I mean, you're right. Every day it does seem like it changes. And it's probably going to continue to change until draft day happens. And we know what's, gonna, what's going on. Um, my inclination at this point is that, that Tua is going to be a dolphin. I mean, they, they, it feels like they have to take a shot at him you know if it, if it doesn't work out obviously ends up being a disaster you know oh well but uh i can't imagine uh the dolphins passing on him and Tua working out for another team that is going to be a yeah, disaster that's gotta as be well such too. yeah um, like so I, annoying i just can't i i just can't see it happening especially with the quality of the other quarterbacks that we're talking about it's not like they're going to be selecting another tua in that spot and we know that so I, I don't see him, and I still think that he's going to be a Dolphin come draft day. I think one of the more interesting things as well is when we talked about it on yesterday's show is what do the Giants do with that number four they, they, pick? They really, I think, they can shape the whole draft with what they do there. So ob yeah. their options are they can trade down and they can say, we don't care what offensive tackle we get, you know, whether it be Wirfs, whether it be Wills. Maybe they even like Josh Jones from Houston who's projected to go – you know, sometimes not even in the first round, yeah. or do they just do the the thing that I expect them to do, but people have told me they think it's wrong, which is just take Isaiah Simmons. I, I think that the the keys to how this draft goes, Ricky, is really in the hands of, of Dave Gettleman and his massive binder. 
he should be on the phone with each and every team in like the top 15 right now to see what he can get. I mean, the Dolphins really want to, uh, and basically you could make that phone call and say, look, I've been on the phone with the Chargers and Jaguars. They're interested, whether or not that's true, uh, and see what you can get there. The Chargers pick at six. If they want to make sure they have the quarterback available to them, they can move back there. Leonard Fournette's already been speculating that he wants someone else at quarterback for the long term, or short term as well. He wants Cam Newton right now, uh, but I think he would be okay with Tua being the guy there. So there are teams, you know, in this top fifteen that reasonably you can make a phone call with and would want someone at four, even someone who wanted Isaiah Simmons of these teams. Teams, yeah. Why? Why is some team not going? Okay, I want the best defensive player. Like I want this guy who can do anything. Yeah. Like- play any position on defense. I want him. If the Giants don't want him, let me take him. Like, let me trade up for it. Or um, maybe maybe the Chargers decide after all, like, we're going to sign Jameis. We're going to sign Cam. We're going to sign Andy Dalton. Uh, we're going to take Jalen Hurts in the second round. We're going to take yeah. Jake Fromm in the second round or Jake Eason. Maybe they don't want Justin Herbert. Maybe they don't want Jordan Love. And, what you know, trade up, trade up there. And I, I saw... Um, a tweet circulating this morning that NBA GMs are telling their sources in the media that these mock drafts are wrong, that they're just that they're just like, this is a crazy year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and the reasoning behind that is that scouts have not had as much time to talk to each other because they haven't been going to pro days. You know, they right. haven't been going to individual workouts. The last time everyone saw one another, Pacheco was at the combine and that was you know, that's two months ago now. And so people are thinking that this just might be a super unpredictable NFL draft. Yeah, and there's like no group think, right, uh, as a result, because they're not able to to talk. So I, I think that's uh, another very fascinating element uh, of this draft that makes it, you know, even a little bit unpredictable beyond, you know, the first few picks, uh, as we've discussed on the show, which seems like virtual locks, even really the top three. Uh, pick seems like virtual locks uh, at this point. Then after that, it's where really the magic happens. I think it's interesting, too, in, in the fact that if the Dolphins do pass on Tua, say they just can't deal with the uncertainty, you know, then that just kind of falls onto the Chargers' lap there. And in my head, again, you know, don't go for the Jordan Loves of the world. Don't go for anyone like that. Like, why don't you just take Tua? In that slot. And I've actually seen, I've done a couple of mock drafts here uh, on the draft network. I was just doing like automatic mock, mock drafts. And the two mock drafts that I did before coming on the show, Tua fell in that number six spot for the Chargers, which I think is a, a really interesting development if, if that uh, scenario plays out for them. So here's my take on that, Ricky. If Tua gets past the Dolphins or if the Dolphins don't trade up for Tua, he's going to slide for a while because the Dolphins, I I believe it is true that the last team to have a doctor speak with Tua and to have him be like examined or whatever was the Miami Dolphins. So if the Dolphins are have, you know, as good of a medical picture as we can have, you know, without an actual physical happening due to COVID-19, I think, I think they're saying fellas just not healthy enough. What do you think Pacheco? Listen, I think, I understand where you're coming from, but given the talent that we're talking about, like how do the Jaguars pass on him at number nine? I know they have a very big need um, defensively as well uh, in someone like Derek Brown, but they don't have a a future quarterback 
in their hand. I mean, right now they have Minshew, who you know could be okay for Josh for Josh Dobbs, baby, catch the fever. I mean, it, it could be okay, but like, how do you pass on that dude at number nine? Even if you think there's a a decent chance that he ends up being healthy, there's I mean, there's a lot of upside tied to the guy. Maybe I'm thinking thinking about things wrong, but I just I don't I think there's going to be a team that gives him a shot, whether it's Jacksonville or some of these teams. Um, you know, even the Patriots at 23. What if he falls to the Patriots at 23? Like, it's going to be brutal it, if the I Patriots don't select him at that Patriots spot. 23, we can, like, I just will be so freaking annoyed. I'll just be like, what is even the point of all of this? I I saw another guy do a mock draft today. I think his, I think his name is Eric Galco. He's a, you know, pretty well-respected NFL writer. And it involved the Dolphins getting cold feet on drafting to a and trading back with the Oakland or the Las Vegas Raiders mm-hmm. who trade for the number five pick select to a not caring about the medicals and then trade, uh, trade that pick or trade Derek Carr to your new England Patriots Pacheco. How would you oh. feel about heading into the season with Derek Carr? I mean, oh. Ricky, what's really the difference between 43 year old Tom Brady and Derek Carr? Tell me the difference. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Derek Carr was a relatively accurate quarterback last year. I actually think that would be good news for Julian Edelman in terms of fantasy purposes. I was just thinking, and tell me what you guys think here. Tampa Bay picks at 14. If Miami does not believe in Tua, why not try and package Jameis with that 14th pick to try and get five? If the Dolphins are convinced that two is not going to be their guy and they're not in love with any of the other non-Burrow quarterbacks, why not take Jameis for the near future and try and work out a deal of that sort? Jameis is unrestricted, dude. They can yeah. go get him right now if they wanted him. Uh, no, no one wants him. It's great. No one wants Cam. No one wants Jameis. Uh, no, one wants, no one wants Andy Dalton. You know, I guess the Dolphins just aren't trying to tip their hand at this point if he's unrestricted. I mean, you would think either they want Tua or they should go out and get one of these guys. I guess with the lack of physicals right now, they're just not overly concerned that a team's going to hop on either of those guys because it seems mm-hmm. like you would have to make a choice one or the other. Either I want Tua or I got to get myself one of these, I don't want to call them safe, but one of these quarterbacks with experience that are available. Well, Davis, wouldn't you say that like, these teams are also waiting on the draft before they commit to someone like Jameis or Cam too. Cause I mean, this is, it's a, you know, quarterback rich draft. Yeah. But no one, no one knows, right? No one knows. I think that's a good point, Pacheco. Yeah. It's like, well, if we don't get Jordan love, we don't get Justin Herbert. We don't get to a, we don't get X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I'll go sign Andy Dalton to start for a year. I'll trade uh, a fourth round pick for Jacoby Brissett and start him for a year. Like there are a lot of different, like, yeah, there it's it is crazy. This is the weirdest offseason in NFL history for a number of reasons. Obviously, mm-hmm. COVID nineteen has a huge impact on all of this stuff. But I mean, as far as I can remember in my lifetime, I I cannot think of another NFL draft where or just another time frame when there was more quarterbacks than there were spots, Ricky. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So man. This number four and five pick are really going to shape everything. And if you have heard that this draft is going to go in directions that are unexpected, I expect both these teams to be taking phone calls. Like if, if it's going to be unexpected, it has to start with the fourth and fifth pick. Like you said, I think the Giants are comfortable with a few of these tackles. So I think it makes sense for them to move back. 
And I really am, am curious what the Dolphins do. I mean, you've been waiting for so long. It just it feels like a, a knife to the heart of the fan base if you don't end up with a quarterback in some fashion here, whether it's Tua or whether it's not, and you feel comfortable moving back to get Jordan Love. But if they yeah. do not come out of this draft with a quarterback, I feel like the ones hanging on as Miami Dolphin fans may decide to go elsewhere. Like, that would just be painful. Davis, the latest mock draft that I did has uh, the Dolphins selecting Becton at five and then Herbert at eighteen, which I I don't even think that's that's too you know that's that's bad. I mean, like, who, could... who like I think the the answer is just well, obviously the Giants, but that if the Chargers are like you know what we don't really want a quarterback, like we're good with Tyrod, I think that changes the complexion of the draft because of what we um, just talked about, which is. You know, it just it just doesn't really matter. Um, like it, it doesn't really matter if you don't get a quarterback because there are quarterbacks to be had out there. So if you know maybe Tua goes, but then Herbert doesn't go. I mean, like what team in the top of this mock draft um, is even? You know, wh- which one of them um, is even looking to draft a quarterback? Like, would not surprise me yeah. if quarterbacks fall a ton as a result because no one needs a quarterback. Well, past what pick? But what past what? Past, pick like I think past pick six. Well, pa- okay. So if you say if you buy that the Raiders are in the market for you know one of these young quarterbacks, then I think you go past pick nine. Just look at it. Who's drafting a quarterback? Like a lot of these guys either have like the Browns aren't drafting a quarterback, the Buccaneers yeah. aren't drafting a quarterback. You know these teams are just not drafting quarterbacks. They're not in the market for them. I agree, but also, like, the Raiders are, are going to go receiver, right? We, they're going to go I mean, receiver. I think they just take Lamb or Judy, yeah. They're going to go receiver. Um, Jets, too. Yeah. yeah, Jets, too. Jets don't need quarterback. I mean, yeah, I, I guess there is a scenario where the quarterbacks do start to fall. Um, but at 18, the Dolphins could go with a quarterback if they don't select them, you know, at five. I think that's a, that's a reasonable uh, guess. I think... You know, Jacksonville at twenty could select one, even though I don't. I don't think that's the likely the likeliest scenario. Um, and the Dolphins also have the twenty sixth pick too. Man, they're just they have four, uh, three first round picks this year. Yeah, the Dolphins. That's, the that's Dolphins pretty, have three. Man, that's that's pretty significant. That means that really at any point here, if they don't select their guy uh, at quarterback at number five, they could go with a quarterback at eighteen or twenty six, if um, if they're comfortable with the guys that are available. Yeah, I just I just think it's 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 just going to be so fascinating, and I hope we get super weird stuff. Like I hope we get like uh, a defensive tackle that no one's heard of going like twenty ninth. Uh, I, I think another amazing subplot that would make this offseason more interesting is and i haven't heard anyone throw this out there but what if the packers do what they did with aaron Rodgers, which is take a quarterback in the first round mm-hmm. when they have a quarterback already you know who's on a, a multi-year you know multi-million dollar contract you know what if what if the packers take jake eason and they're like look you're gonna sit you down for two years behind aaron Rodgers." like i haven't heard anyone discuss this but that would be my favorite outcome of any of this stuff ricky I saw Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network project that exact thing at Jordan Love at 30. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I have the under on the four-and-a-half quarterbacks in the first round. I feel like the Dolphins are a lock between one of their picks to get there. Yeah. That, 
that Jordan Love scenario, that might not even put me over, even if the Packers do that, because what are we? Burrow, Tua, yeah. Herbert, Love. Mm-hmm. So we're at four in that scenario. So I, I still am feeling good about the under, by the way, which has been juiced up since I bet it. I think I took it at about 400. It's at 455 right now. So I don't think I'm getting out of the first round without the Dolphins taking one. But I do think yeah. that is a scenario for the Packers, by the way. When you're that late, if there's a guy that you like who has fallen too far, a guy like a Jordan Love who you think could be you know the future of the NFL, why wouldn't you do that? I mean – Aaron Rodgers only has so so much left, so you would think that you would want to take you know one of your immediate needs. But if you're talking about building the future of your franchise and you think it's that one of these guys is a true project, why not take that shot? You got a few more years of Rodgers, and then you're completely set and don't have to you know waste a first rounder down the road when you're about ready to start a new era. And we'll be back next week to uh, do more NFL draft content with all of you guys. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.